Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and sign up for your free trial of Audible.com so you can go exploring. The Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to enjoy inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to, and this is because of the guests. Uh, these are folks who have expertise in particular areas of business. And they join me for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. That way, you can get the information you need. You can get exposure to people who really know what they're talking about. And you can do better things in your business. Today is no different. My guest today is Mark Hirschberg. Mark is the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Educated at MIT, Mark has spent his career launching and fixing new ventures at startups, Fortune 500s, and academia. He's developed new software languages, online marketplaces, new authentication systems, and tracked criminals and terrorists on the dark web. Mark helped create MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he's taught for 20 years. He also serves on various nonprofit boards. Thanks so much for joining me today, Mark. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. So today we are going to be talking about negotiating, which I think is a huge topic and not talked about enough. Um, and, uh, and I just have so many questions for you. I was surprised when I was having a conversation with someone, not on the podcast, just you know, a conversation in general, about negotiating, and the person told me they thought that a good negotiator was the person who won, you know, the person who got everything they wanted. And and I said, I don't think so. I, you know, my 
thing is I think a good, negotia- a good negotiation is when both parties feel like they have won. Both, both parties feel like they have left. And I am curious what your uh, viewpoint is. Well, that might be true in a very narrow definition. Certainly, we go into a negotiation to get ideally everything we want. It's a um, limited view. I'm trying to think the right word for this. In that <laughs> when, we're, when we're a novice, we think, okay, it's, it's getting what I want. But experienced negotiators understand a good negotiation. It's not simply getting the biggest piece of the pie. But if you can figure out how to expand the pie then not only can you potentially wind up with an even bigger piece, your partner in negotiations, the person on the other side of the table, can also wind up with a bigger piece and everyone winds up happier. Good negotiators look for creative solutions and find new ways to generate value for everyone at the table. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So, I mean, that feels like before they actually enter into the negotiation, they have to do a lot of preparation and learning and maybe even ideating so they're prepared for that conversation. Is that fair? This is something that experienced negotiators know, but inexperienced ones never think about. You would never go and do a public speech without having some preparation, right? Some practice. Yeah. When yeah. you play sports, <clears throat> excuse me, when you play sports, even when you have your company softball team, you've probably done a little bit of practice, right? A little bit of, of trying out, you don't just go out cold. And yet we go into our negotiation saying, oh, well, yeah, um, let's just go negotiate and see what happens. But of course, good negotiators know it's preparation. Just like your sports teams, the time you see them on the field, that's a tiny percentage of what they actually do. They spend most of their time preparing and training, and good negotiators do the same. They know much of the time is spent not at the table, but in preparation for going to the negotiation event. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, it makes sense when you say it. I, I just I, As you said, I don't think people think about it. Unfortunately... So- Unfortunately, I don't because we don't teach this in school and what our experience with negotiation, either we see it in movies or on TV. And of course, what's what's (laughs) telegenic? It's not seeing someone sitting in their office, reading and preparing and writing notes. It's telegenic when they're at the table and screaming at each other and building that drama. So that's the perception we have. And our limited experience is typically we negotiate maybe if we're getting a new job. And okay, we think about it in that moment. Again, we don't think about the preparation. So we don't have the right mindset. But negotiation, like so many of these soft skills, power skills, whatever you want to call them, if you can change your mindset, you see all sorts of new opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, that boy, that that makes sense. So what are zero-sum negotiations and non-zero-sum negotiations? Zero-sum is what most of us think of as a negotiation. The classic example is uh, buying a used car. So you've got a car, I want to buy it, and I'm thinking, okay, I want to pay as little as possible. You obviously want me to pay as much as possible. And there's just a, a pile of dollars that start in my pocket, and some of those are going to wind up in your pocket. 
every extra dollar you get is one less dollar for me. So the combination of the two, it, it's fixed, right? There's never going to magically be more money. And that's what we think of as zero sum. There's not any other opportunities or options. And so when you think of the world in terms of zero sum, you think of right, getting what I want. I just want to pay as little as possible. You want to pay as much as possible. That's just where we draw the line. And so in a pure zero sum negotiation, there's no opportunity for these creative solutions. For this, this simple car example, the used car, it really is one dimensional. It's just about the money. And that's again, what we, when we're inexperienced, think of it as a negotiation. So we go with the mentality of as much as I can for me. As you become a more experienced negotiator, you recognize there's usually multiple dimensions. And again, inexperienced people think, oh, multiple dimensions are harder. In fact, multiple dimensions are easier because we're gonna to start to be able to trade off things that are more valuable to me and less valuable to you. So you're happy to give those up to me and I can do the same to you. And we both wind up in a better position because we're both giving up less valuable for more valuable. And this is how you create these creative solutions. So zero sum has just a fixed amount and we're just trying to divide it. But when we get to more complex negotiations with multiple dimensions, and usually not just a linear, you know, where do we draw the line between the dollars, but creative options, these are non-zero sum negotiations. Got it. Okay. Thank you for that. That that makes sense once you explain it. Will you explain what BATNA or B-A-T-N-A is? BATNA is one of the most important concepts when you go to negotiate. It stands for best alternative to negotiated agreement. So it's what you want to do in your preparation. The first thing you do is say, if this doesn't work out, if when we come together, we can't reach a deal, what happens? So when we're doing this used car example, if I'm thinking, boy, I really need a car. I'm going to buy your car. But boy, your, your price is so high. It's really more than I want. So what happens if I don't spend the money on your car? Well, maybe there's another used car I could get from someone else. Maybe I can continue paying the bus or taking the bus. And while I might think I'm willing to pay, I've done my budget, I can continue to take the bus and I'm willing to spend up to $3,000 for your car. But if you're saying you want 5,000, I really don't have the 2,000 to spare, but you know what? I can still keep taking the bus. It's a pain. It's not as fast as driving, but it's an acceptable option to me. And it's very important to understand your BATNA before you go into negotiation, because as we're sitting across the table from each other and we're throwing out proposals and counter proposals, it's easy to get swept up and you might wind up agreeing to something. And then you walk out and say, wait a second, this is, this is worse than when I started. I never should have taken that deal. So your BATNA is kind of your guide. It says, hey, if I don't do at least this well, I should not accept any offer. And so it gives you a floor for where you can go with the negotiations. Got it. Okay, boy, that just seems like it is so important. It really wow. is uh, the, the starting point. Before you walk into the room, you better know your BATNA. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. And of so, course, your BATNA, um, your BATNA, of course, could be steady state. It could be do nothing and stick to where things are. It could be other opportunities, other suppliers, other partners. So there might even be more than one BATNA or more than one option. And again, for multiple dimensions that you're negotiating, 
there could be multiple BATNAs that have different trade-offs across those dimensions. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And and so is that like the more variables there are, the the more options there end up being? Absolutely. You huh. could imagine, I'm gonna do a really simple example here. Uh, let's suppose you're you're in a job and you're thinking of a new job. Again, this is this is kind of contrived, we'll show the example. And you're thinking, well, I'd really like more money and more vacation time. So I might be willing to take, you know, a hundred thousand dollar salary with five weeks of vacation. Or I'd be willing to accept, you know, ninety thousand dollars with six weeks of vacation, or one hundred and ten thousand with four weeks of vacation. And of course, you're trading off. You're saying, look, any of these would be the floor. I'd like to do better. I'd like to get one hundred twenty thousand and eight weeks of vacation. That'd be great. But I'm willing to accept any of these combinations of money and time off. And there's different combinations that are equally acceptable as a floor. And again, this is this is not a uh, it's a little contrived, but it illustrates the point. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate that because it, it really does. It's, it reminds me of, um, well, this whole conversation is reminding me actually of when I was starting my business and I wanted to change the relationship I had with the company I was working for and go from a salaried employee to an independent contractor and that, you know, back and forth that, that we had. And I knew what my floor was going in. So, or my walking away point or, you know, whatever you want to call it. So we definitely ended up negotiating it out. I didn't get what I walked in the door asking for. Um, but I didn't settle for something I didn't want either, if that makes sense. Yes, and that's the other thing. As you think about your BATNA, your floor, also think about the other end of the spectrum. Think about what is it that you would like to get out of this? What is your ideal goal? We, we don't always expect to get everything we ask for, but you want to start high. You want to think about, yeah, this is my stretch goal. There was a great negotiation book I read years ago, and the author of it, who's a respected Wharton professor, said, your opening offer, the thing that you're asking for, should be have the largest amount you can say with a straight face. So you obviously <laughs> wouldn't go and say, I want you know, a million dollars. But <laughs> if, you're, if you're pushing for a large number, but you feel like, yeah, you know, it's, it's not unrealistic, start with that. Yeah, that's good. Because you have to be able to have room to go back and forth. Right. And that's, that's certainly a, a strategy to think about. And we think about in our negotiations, that classic bizarre haggle, it's the same as this used car of, okay, we know I'm going to walk into the bazaar, they're going to offer me this rug, and they're going to start with some astronomical amount that even they know, no one's gonna pay this. And I'm gonna come in with a really low amount that's insultingly low, but they know this is how the game is played. And we right. think often about, okay, this, just start as high and low as you can and meet in the middle. And while that happens, you don't want to just think of it that way. Uh, because again, then the rule is, we'll just come up larger and larger numbers or smaller and smaller numbers. But you do certainly wanna think about asking for things where you say, 
you know, I'm going to ask for a lot of salary and a lot of time off and a lot of other benefits. I know I'm not going to get all, but I'm asking for this knowing I can trade some of this off. And of course, they don't know ahead of time which of these items, ABC, which ones you really want versus the others you're more willing to trade off. So you do want to give yourself some room with that. But you don't just want to play the game of asking astronomical stuff all from the start because it should not come, take your number, my number, and then we meet in the middle. That's never right. a good approach, whether you officially just say, add the two, divide by two, or even that mentality of let's just find the middle. You really do want to find numbers or positions, because most of the time it's not a number. You want to find positions that really do maximize the value to the two parties. Okay. Is it ever a good idea to start the negotiation asking for something or including in the ask something that you don't even care about, something you don't even necessarily want, like because it's a throwaway? It very much can be, right? Oh, now, you're, okay. you're, of course, trading off the balance between you care about three things, so you come up with a laundry list of 15, and they just look and think, you're going to be difficult, you're going to be exasperating, why do we have to do 15 different things? So you, you have to use some judgment, but it's okay to, to have a few other things that might not be as important uh, that you're willing to trade off. Okay. But you got to be careful with it, is what I'm hearing. Well, you could also certainly wind up with those things. So, so make sure yeah. anything you ask for, if you get it, you're okay getting it. It's not going to be some white elephant that you're stuck with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Uh, I'm going to take a quick sponsor break, and then I will continue the conversation. Uh, the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com has thousands of audiobook titles to choose from, which I'm hoping you already know, but you might not know about the other content. There are podcasts and Audible originals and guided meditations and so much more, and, and just the depth and variety is remarkable. Uh, so we're offering a free trial. You can go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Sign up for the trial and check it out for yourself. I think you're going to be surprised at the kind of content that you can get all in one place. Today we're speaking with Mark Hirschberg about how to negotiate effectively. Okay, so um, I've been thinking about something else before the break and it has left my head, so hopefully it'll come back. Um, will you explain to the listeners uh, what a post-agreement negotiation is, please. This is an advanced technique in which once you have a negotiated agreement, some studies have shown you can actually go and negotiate an additional agreement. Now, most people, when I suggest this, just look and say, what are you talking about? This is insane. We have an agreement. Why would we do this? But what happens is this agreement you just all signed and you probably want to wait until it's actually uh, signed or at least a little further, everyone's comfortable with it. At this point, that's your BATNA. As you now try to do the second agreement, you all say, if we can't do any better, well, no problem. We all have this agreement we are good with. 
But at this point, you might start to get a little more comfortable. Now you've got this great safety net. You say, we have a good agreement. Let's get creative. Let's get a little wild in our thinking and see if we can come up with creative solutions that might seem a little weird, but maybe they do unlock better value for both of us. And if you find a better agreement, you say, okay, let's, let's forget that first thing we all agreed to. We're going to choose this second option because it's so much better for both of us. But if you just say, no, you know what, that's, that's too weird. This isn't working. We're not finding anything. No problem. You still have that first agreement. And again, studies have shown in research labs and negotiation labs that you can actually, in certain circumstances, get an improved outcome. This does not apply if you are doing salary negotiations with your employees or with your employer. It might not uh, apply to just a very straightforward, simple negotiation. You're buying widgets and you mostly were negotiating the price and there's not much else to do. But if you have these more complex uh, multi-factor negotiations, this could work. So if, if it's something really valuable, after you've done the negotiations, think about potentially coming back to the table, even just for an hour or two, trying out some other creative solutions. You might find you will get better value. That's interesting. So that feels like once you have an agreement, uh, like the intensity is off, the, the pressure is off. So there's the possibility, really, you're just sort of batting around ideas and seeing if something, you know, bubbles to the top that you hadn't thought of before that is, you know, better for all the parties. That's exactly it. When we huh. think about the brainstorming we do, the first thing we do with brainstorming is we say, okay, everyone, this is brainstorming. So it's okay to throw out a crazy idea, right? No one's going to laugh at you. No one's going to say, okay. oh. Bob had a really bizarre idea. It's like, no, no, that was brainstorming. And so we're more comfortable, right? We're more liberated to come up with creative ideas during brainstorming. So same thing here. When the pressure's on to do the deal, you might think, look, I've, I've got to get this done. I have all these other things on my plate that I need to do. I don't have time to really get into some wacky ideas. I got to figure out how to make this work. And you've got that pressure. To your point, once the agreement's in place, the pressure is off. And now you can say, yeah, let, let's try something. Even if he thinks, boy, this guy's kind of weird. Well, it's okay. We already have that first signed agreement. He can think I'm weird. We still have an agreement in place. Right. Right. So no harm, no foul. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. I would like to shift a smidge or maybe a lot to um, unethical tricks. <clears throat> negotiate things people should not do because it's just bad. Unfortunately, there is a lot of unethical behavior in negotiating, and it can take many forms. I'm going to give two examples. So the first is effectively browbeating, right? The first is some level of, I'm going to call it intimidation. It's not always physical intimidation, but it could be shouting down the other person. It could be you know, banging your fists on the table. It could just be literally some you know, big guy is just using his physicalness to kind of intimidate the other person. And that's not to say there aren't times when negotiations you, you shouldn't scream or shout. And this can be a, a tactic. I even know people who are calm people who don't normally do it and they put on this act. But if you're doing this to really just intimidate the other person, especially if you're more experienced and really are just kind of taking advantage of the other person, I 
I don't feel that's appropriate. Negotiations really are about creating value for both parties and not what uh, what that example was at the start where someone says, just about grabbing as much value as I can. Another common trick, it's the backroom trope of the used car salesman. So here you, you come to me and you know, you're trying to buy a car and I'm, all right, I'm gonna give you a deal. We're talking, we're negotiating. You're talking me down, I'm talking you up. Finally, we agree on a price. Okay, we spent an hour negotiating. We go, okay, hey, great, Diane, you know, really excited to get you this car. I'm just gonna go take this agreement to my boss in the back room. He's gonna go sign off and we'll get you your car. I go into the back room where there might be a boss of mine or I might just be lying through my teeth. But even if there's a boss, I come back and go, hey, listen, look, I really want to do this deal, but turns out my boss says the price I offered you can't be done. So I got up at just another thousand. It's only a thousand, but let's just, just do a thousand more. And it, I got the keys right here. Come on, just a thousand more. And so what I've done is I've negotiated in bad faith because you negotiate in good faith. You didn't show up and say, oh, by the way, I know we agreed to this price. turns out I can't afford it. So let's lower it again, right? We both went in with right. the understanding that we could, when we agreed to a price, we could commit to that price. And so what I've done here is I've said, oh, turns out I'm not the guy you should have been negotiating with. Now it's round two. And what I'm hoping is that you are now so committed, you just spent the last hour or maybe a few weeks trying to get this done. You just go, okay, fine, fine, whatever, another thousand. I just want to be done with this. And this is, this is insincere. Now, it's not to say this, this doesn't happen. So a common example, when we as companies do a major agreement, I'm going to sell a business unit to your company, and you and I were CEOs and we negotiate, it's understood that, by the way, I'm going to need board approval, right? And you're going to need board approval too. We both understand there are other parties involved, but that's understood ahead of time by senior leaders who have done these types of M&A deals. It's not expected in that used car salesman trope. So it's okay to have that, hey, I need extra approval, but if it's not well understood, if it's not the norm in this type of negotiation that we're doing, then it becomes underhanded, that you're really wasting someone's time. Right. So it's interesting. Um, and I'm really glad that you also gave the example of two executives, you know, working something out, knowing that there's other people who get the opportunity to sign on or off on something. Um, I, and I'm really glad that you used the used car example, too, because that goes on daily. And it's something I've never been able to figure out how it is that all car dealerships have, this is what they've learned. That, you know, it doesn't matter the brand, doesn't, you know, unless you're, I would imagine I've never bought one, but like going in to get a, a Maserati or a Lamborghini where there's probably none of that going on. It, it is bizarre to me that they all engage in that behavior, that that's what they were taught as far as the best way to sell a car. I actually had this happen to me at one of the clients uh, who I'm working with. We had a vendor, we had an agreement, and then they said, oh, it turns out the number of licenses you want, it's too low, we, we have to up it, there's a new policy in place. So sorry, we have to up this. And it was upping the price only about 2%. 
from my standpoint, certainly this wasn't going to impact my budget. It was a trivial amount, but on principle, this was, this is kind of offensive to me of, wait a second, we just negotiated this. We had certainly a, a handshake agreement. We hadn't signed the, the form yet. And now you're playing this game. And honestly, you know, from a relationship standpoint, because whether you yeah. are a vendor or this car salesman, you're thinking it's not just about, oh, can I get another hundred dollars, couple hundred dollars, thousand dollars today? What's your reputation? And if I had been this vendor, I would have said, you know what? I screwed up. Turns out, you know, we can't do 200 licenses after the 250, but don't worry. I'm going to honor the price and just give you 50 more. Cause then I would have walked away and said, Hey, this person respects our agreement and, and that's great. And if this is what she has to do, fine. I might even be okay saying on good faith, I won't even use the extra licenses, but the fact right. that she said, Oh, little more. And it was probably an honest mistake. I don't think she was playing games, but because you can't tell the difference, I, yeah. I put my foot down and said, no, this is not appropriate. And she quickly recanted. Hmm. Wow. But didn't that tarnish the relationship moving forward? Because there's always that underlying feeling of, uh, now I can't trust this person with what they tell me. Unfortunately, it did. And she's going to need to come back and show some good faith in the future. And this is something else we have in our negotiations. There's this concept of single round or multi-round, right? When, you, when we do this used car sale, I'm never going to see you again. I don't care if you like me. The odds that we're ever going to exchange doesn't matter. But when we deal with vendors, when we deal with customers, suppliers, partners, even employees, it's not about how can I maximize today? Because we have to think about, we're going to have future rounds, future relationships. And this is something we saw with unions and large corporations. They finally started to figure this out in the 80s, because it used to be the companies would say, you know, damn the union, give them as little as possible. And the union, of course, wanted as much as possible. And at a certain point, they recognized, you know what, even if we really take advantage of the union guys, wait, they're building the product. Without them, the company doesn't work. <laughs> we can't just crush them as much as possible. We have to say, hey, we're both in this together. We both benefit when the company does well. And that means you, the union folks, do well, and we, the company, does well. And so in the 80s, we started to see they'd say, you know what, we should have a union representative on the board. They're a big component of what makes us successful. And they started to take a more balanced approach as opposed to, again, that, that first example of mine, 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 how much can I get? And I don't care what you're winding up with. And, and, and it's better for the company overall, which means then it's better for everyone in the company overall. Exactly. And this is that concept of not just dividing the pie, but expanding the pie. Because when you expand the pie, I can get a much bigger piece. I can even get a larger percentage of the pie, but the pie is so much bigger, you're getting a bigger piece. And even if your percentage might be smaller, it's still a bigger piece for you and you're happy with that. Right. Right. Wow, it's so interesting. Okay. And so, real, um, yeah, go ahead. Here, here's the, the real kind of way to think about negotiation. As we're talking about all this, you know, we negotiate all the time. We do it 
again, customers and suppliers. We do it as an employee taking a job, as a company owner hiring people. And if we could just get 2% better at our negotiations, not being a negotiation master, not getting a PhD, not solving the Middle East, just 2% better, a little bit better. Think about what happens to your business if all of a sudden things get a little better. Whether you think of that in a linear way of, oh, I'm going to do 2% better on every deal, or more likely, it's not going to be a literal, oh, I got 2% more in fees, but I can't with better solutions. I have customers who are 2% happier. Our solution was 2% better overall. If you can do this in every interaction you have, think about the impact that's going to have on your career or your business over your lifetime. And to get 2% better, you can do that with a minimal amount of effort, reading a couple books, listening to some podcasts, taking a course online or in person, just a little bit of effort, 20, 30 hours of effort, possibly even less, you can easily get that 2% better because for most of us, we're starting from zero. We're starting from no training. So a little effort in this has a massive ROI on literally our bottom line and our overall success and happiness throughout the rest of our career. Yeah, boy, I, I think that is critically important. And, um, and it made me think of what I had wanted to say before, which is it feels like if a business owner approaches all of the different sorts of negotiations that they do in their business with an eye toward what is most likely in everyone's best interest, then there's a chance that the negotiation's going to go well and is really going to benefit everyone. Is, is that reasonable? That is very true. And this is the almost paradox that I see managers, executive, HRs, business owners get into. They think, ooh, if my employees are better negotiators, what's going to happen? They're all going to negotiate a better raise. This is going to cost me more money. And okay, that might be true. All, your, all of your employees suddenly, instead of negotiating, let's say, a $1,000 raise, they negotiate a $2,000 raise. Okay, that's going to cost you X dollars. But if they're all better negotiators, how much better are they doing with external uh, relationships with your customers, suppliers, and partners? How much better are they doing internally? Because a lot of our negotiations happen not against other people outside the company, but even with our coworkers, with your department and mine, we've got to come together and get this done. Oh, and there's this difficult piece and neither of us want to do it. How do we divide up the work? That's a negotiation. And if they even get better internally as well, externally, you can say, good, we're generating more value. So even if I'm paying them $1,000 more, they're going to bring in more value or save more money. Internally, if they come up with more effective compromises and agreements, they're happier, they're more satisfied with their work. You might even come up with better creative solutions. So giving your employees these skills Yes, to a first order, you say, oh, they're going to negotiate against me eventually. But that's one negotiation every year or two. Most of the time, you're doing so many others, and it's going to create so much more value. That extra money you pay them is more than offset by the overall advantages 
and improvements that you get from a stronger negotiating team across your company. Right. And it feels like if we look at it in terms of not that, not that they're negotiating against us, but they're negotiating with us, you know, it's like co-creating a solution to whatever the situation is, then we get out of that, oh, my employees are trying to take advantage of me, or, oh, my vendor is trying to take advantage of me, or, you know, oh, fill in the blank. This is a very important point, and it's why throughout my book, I always use the term, your negotiation partner. Because when mm. we sit down, even though we might be across the table, it's an agreement we both want. If it doesn't work for you, you're not going to agree to it, and I'm now not getting an agreement. It's only when we come together, and as partners, we together say, this is what we want, this works for us. So you always want to think about that other person in a we sense, we together want to create this agreement, this relationship, this engagement. And that's what gets you in that mindset of not me, 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 grab what I can, screw you. It's all about me. It's about we, it's about us coming together to create value for both of us. Yeah, it seems like it's so much better and so much easier to, to do it that way. And you're going to come up with more creative solutions because you're yeah. thinking about us and not just what works for me. I can come up with a lot of solutions that work great for me. You're not going to yeah. like them, but you're not going to agree to them. But if I think right. about solutions that work for us, and it works very, very well for me, good, I'm glad about that, but it works for us. It works for you too. Great. You're more likely to agree to that. And so that mindset, as I said earlier, with a lot of these skills, it's reframing them obviously have the, the training, but that reframing is such an important step because it changes how you look at the problem, changes how you see opportunities and how you can come up with solutions. So do you think there's value in a business owner actually encouraging their employees to think about, you know, to, to prepare to come to the table, you know, if, if a business owner said to their employees, Give some thought to what you think makes the most sense for, you know, what you're looking for, what makes the most sense for the business, for you, for sustainability, blah, 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 whatever, so that the employee is actually doing, going through that thought process. They're not just thinking about themselves, but also that the business owner is setting the table for this is you know, we're negotiating partners. Absolutely. We all know as business owners, we want leaders in our company. And if we can help people become better leaders, it doesn't make us worse leaders. It doesn't take away from our leadership. We want yeah. people to be more effective in their communication. Doesn't mean now we're not good communicators. This is not zero sum. It is additive. And so when we get employees to come and think about being better negotiators, we give them training. We even talk to them about, think about what you want, right? We all know if your employee doesn't feel like his or her needs are being taken care of, what are they going to do? They're going to walk. They're going to go somewhere else. And the cost of replacing an employee is far higher than probably what that raise would have been. But if you can teach them the proper way to negotiate, which is this we, they're not going to come in and say, well, I just demand more money. They're going to think about why they deserve that money. They're going to think about what they're doing for the company. 
how it helps the company. Because again, this kind of uh, union example we talked about earlier, if the union said, hey, we want you to triple all our hourly wages, and magically they make that happen, well, the company all of a sudden their profit margins greatly change. They might not be able to get as much financing to fund new development and it puts them in a downward spiral, right? And so just the me alone can have negative consequences. By taking this we approach, we start to think not just about the first order consequences, more for me, we think about how this is going to get more for me, but also help both of us in the long run. And we all want employees who think about not just themselves, but the company as a whole and the long-term future of the company. Right. And this feels like a great way to help that happen. Absolutely. Okay. Are there, um, I mean, I think we might have talked about this, so I apologize if, if I'm asking a question that we've really touched on, but it, it might need emphasis. But are there different types of negotiations? There are different types. Um, we, can, we can talk about this in different dimensions. Certainly one thing to think about is that single round versus multi-round, right? Is that relationship? Is it someone where I'm just trying to gain the most advantage because I'm never seeing you again versus we have a long-term relationship. If you look at, for example, uh, the Boeing 737 MAX, right? That got grounded and all of a sudden money is being lost even, even before COVID happened, which is a whole other dimension to it. Let's just go to pre-COVID times. These planes are grounded. So what's happening? Well, the airlines are saying, hey, you sold us bad planes. So you know you have to pay for this. A company's saying, well, look, you kind of understand planes are complex machines. These things happen. There are recalls. You, we don't agree to take all your costs. Now, if Boeing draws a complete hard line on that and says, yeah, that's your problem, not mine. Okay, it doesn't cost them anything in the short run. But in the long run, the airlines say, yeah, we don't want to buy more Boeing planes. We're going to go to Airbus, right? And that's not going to help Boeing down the road. So they have to find this balance between keeping their customers happy today versus their own need for profitability and balancing that, of course, what it means for the long term, their profitability, their ability to sell to these clients again while keeping the clients happy at a minimal cost to them. So we get some, some tricky dimensionality when we add in the multiple rounds. Okay. Do, do you think it makes sense to just treat every negotiation like it's a multi, you know, dimensional negotiation? Because this, this feels like an integrity karma thing. Uh, not everyone. I certainly do believe there should be integrity. And there should be, you do have a reputation that comes forward. But when you're on the extreme end, when you're buying that item on eBay or off of Craigslist, mm -hmm. it really is a single transaction. It's coming down to the money for the item. And it's someone you really aren't going to see again. And so at that point, it is a, it is a single round and you're just going to maximize mm -hmm. value. So there are Good cases point. like that. But okay. in business, Certainly, you, you may want to think about um, more complex dimensions. I'll give you an example uh, that comes from a, a book I read. 
when Einstein was looking for a job, he was being courted by the Institute uh, for Advanced Studies in Princeton, New Jersey. And the guy was chatting with Einstein and said, okay, what, what are you looking for in terms of compensation? So Einstein said, this is, I think, the 1930s, said, well, I've been talking to some of my peers, and it seems like a fair salary would be $2,500 a year. And the head of the Institute for Advanced Studies said, okay, fine, I'm going to offer you $12,000. Right now, he could have hired Einstein right then and there for $2,500, but he offered him more because the Institute for Advanced Studies wasn't short on money. They were short on Einstein's. And they didn't have a lot of other options. Now he could have gotten Einstein for 2,500 and maybe someone else would have come along and offered him 3,500 or 5,000, right? By coming in at 12,000, he basically said, you're the guy I want. You shouldn't even worry about, can you do better someone else? Because you know, I'm looking out for you. And so in that case, he was thinking less about this immediate transaction and more about the long-term, this is a place where getting Einstein will attract more people. This is a place where people know we do attract top dollar. And so uh, you, there are cases where you wanna go kind of that other direction. Wow, that is a great example. I had no idea, that, that's terrific. Oh my gosh. I, so Mark, I, I really appreciate this. Um, I've learned a lot. I know the listeners have learned a lot. Will you share with them um, you know, how they can find you, how they can uh, find your book. You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. There you can learn more about the book. And of course, you can buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, as well as local bookstores. There's also on the website, in addition to being able to get in touch with me, there's a number of free resources. So I do have a chapter on negotiations in my book, and it contains a lot of the advice here and some additional advice on concretely how to be more successful. I also list other resources, other great books that you can use for creating a stronger uh, negotiation ability in yourself and in your team. I have resources on how you can train up your organization, all free on the website, and there's a free app. So one thing I found when you read a book like this, you say, okay, this is great, and then you forget it because you read it a month ago and now you're trying to apply it and you're not carrying the book with you, but the app is going to give you the tips. It pops up a reminder every day to help reinforce the learnings. And it's a free app that you can download from the website. It's on the Apple and Google store. So all this is available on the careertoolkitbook.com. Wow, that's a cool, that's cool. I've never heard of that before. That, that is a great idea. I wish more books did. I was actually shocked. I didn't want to build this. I thought I'd go license it, it didn't exist. So I went out built it, patented it, and uh, now have it to support my book and hopefully some other books in the future. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I love that idea. Wow. <laughs> and it can also great. be used as you're going into negotiation. You quickly open the app and you flip through it to get that kind of crash course yeah. monitor <laughs> right before you walk in the room. Right, right. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love that idea. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you again. And listeners, Thank you. You are who we are doing this for. I'd also like to thank audible.com. Uh, head on over to audibletrial.com slash business growth. Sign up for the free trial and go on an exploration. I think you're going to enjoy it. 
as always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, The only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. Bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.